You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something supposedly, but even though there are times we We had to go back. Did we? Welcome back to No Love Lost. I am Will Link. With me as always. Megan Salinas. Hey guys. I unconditionally love Lost. Megan has a different opinion. Uh, the way I've been describing it in our podcast so far is that it, I got out of an abusive relationship with that. And maybe that's a little harsh. An abusive relationship <laughs> like the one that Jin and Sun seem to have been in? I will not stand here and allow you to slander the OTP of this show, Will. How dare you? How dare you slander my OTP, my lost OTP? Um, we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 6, House. Of the rising sun. I unconditionally love this episode. This <laughs> is a really great episode. Yeah, this is... I, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, season one is the most solid season for me and it's episodes like this that make it that way. This is good because now the the listeners, uh, they're stuck with us for at least... A, at least like 22 episodes or so before we start hating each other. <laughs> They're like, so we get a good build up for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but here's what's great about this episode. Uh, I've been looking forward to, to this. Um, in my head, I don't think I remembered it being as early as six episodes in that we got the Jin Sun backstory. Well, this would have been like five weeks in way back in the day. But still, yeah. I mean, that still seems seems earlier than in my memories because Jin and Sun, from the start of the show in a weird way, are the most uh, mysterious because they can't communicate with the other people. Mm -hmm. And it, they were the outsiders. So in these early episodes, everyone's getting to know each other, but no one's getting to know them other than these really awkward Michael Sun interactions where it's a naked lady what? <laughs> um, uh, also the other interesting thing is although and this episode starts to play into all the shipping that goes on but this is the only couple at the start of the series mm -hmm. that they're they're a married couple and they're the only ones in this and core cast that are like that from what we've seen a very dysfunctional <laughs> married couple um yeah, which is, this is something that, like, in terms of the way we're fed information about them piece by piece um, as the series has been presented to us thus far, every time we get an interaction between Sun and someone else, we get a little bit more of her. And this is where the directing and the acting um, throughout the show up until this point have been so good because if you look at the way Sun reacts to everything and the way Jin reacts to everything, there are so many layers to the performance and the writing with them. Um, this is one of the reasons why a lot of people love to rewatch this show, is because of things like their characterization. Yeah. I distinct one of I, I've only ever watched this series through all the way once. Um, but one of the things that always stuck in my memory was getting this episode's flashback um, from Sun's point of view, and then a couple, you know, later in season one, I, I believe it's actually yeah. much later, um, getting this, this same series of events from Jin's point of view and having it completely change my perspective on him 100%. And, yeah, you really realize, almost like how we were talking about Sawyer a couple episodes back, 
about how much you come to love gin because when you watch this, it's like, mm, this. Well, yeah. Uh, you, you look at it as kind of like a Godfather scenario, as like well, this good man who didn't want to go out of his way to, to get involved in any sort of nefarious activities, but because... But because of love, in the case of the Godfather, it's love of family, and in this case, it's love of you know, love of the woman who will be his wife. Um, you you see you you see the narrative play out in your brain as this fall from grace. Uh, the the other thing, and you said that the Jin storyline kind of gets filled out later in the season, which is probably why in my head the whole mystery of their relationship, which their flashback is about is um, why it feels later to me that that was going See, to happen. I, but, I remember the... I, I distinctly remember the time difference between getting her point of view and then getting the additional context of his point of view. Because for me, when it finally came, when we finally got his perspective on everything, it blew my mind. And I remember thinking, man, that completely explains everything about her point of view of him and then getting his point of view of it. Like, I, I felt the weight of that time that had passed, but, like, not in, like, a I forgot what happened sort of way, in, like, an, oh, this is what was happening during that time, during that, that like, chunk of time that we were missing. As the series goes on, I'm, I'm really, in this rewatch, want to pay a lot of attention to how much time is devoted to flashbacks because... Mm -hmm. If, I mean, I didn't sit there with a stopwatch. I mean, it's a 42-minute episode. I feel like less than 10 minutes is probably devoted to, or maybe about 10 Like, they do in these early episodes, and I, I wonder if they keep that up. They do so much with so little. Like, we, well, let's let's get into the flashback. Well, um, we, when we were talking about Walkabout, I remember Walkabout being, like, the most like the the entire substance of that episode but there was so much else going on during walkabout besides those flashbacks and like the flashbacks time wise were, were relatively short but so it, it's one of those things where it's like they're they're used but they're so impactful that's what we walk away with i hardly remembered anything else that yeah. happened in this episode besides the fact that they found water. I remember, I remember the, the, and we'll, we'll table this for a little later, but I remember the main conflict going on with Jack, but I didn't remember it associated with this episode. Yeah. Now, um, oh, we'll, well, let's get into the flashback. So we should probably say, uh, and we, we should probably get into the habit of saying this at the beginning of every episode, spoilers, guys, we're going to be talking about the show, and this is for whatever reason your first episode, we're going to be talking about the series It's in its entirely. So if you have any desire to watch Lost at all, I guess go watch the series, because we, we will definitely be dropping spoilers about the ending and about other things, so. So, yeah, particularly in this episode, there's some stuff. Um, <sighs> so, the flashback begins, and we, get, we suddenly understand this couple immediately. We see that Sun is fancy, high-class party, she's there, and Jin is the help. But they've already got a thing going oh. on between them, and there's this star-crossed lovers thing, and they, they meet up. Do we ever get a flashback of how they met? I don't remember. Oh, shit. But I, I don't think remember. so. But yeah, this is our introduction to them as a couple. I think later we, we actually might. I don't remember. I legitimately don't. I know later we get a scene where I believe he's uh, I believe he's a doorman and he lets her in the door but they're not like a couple. They don't know each other. They don't know each other yet. Um, okay. But that's down the road. But this one... I was one... going to say, now that I think about it, like, these flashbacks... Uh, a lot there there are a couple other early flashbacks that I do remember about Sun and Jin, but like thinking about it like later on down the road, I'm like, I feel like they didn't get as many flashbacks as a lot of other characters. That's not fair. They're wonderful and they, great. But they get a lot of flashbacks. Do they? She's having an affair. I remember that, but like 
outside of her having an affair... We developed Jin's relationship with his father, which was, I believe, one of the only healthy father relationships, because... I must have missed a lot of episodes at some point during the middle, because I remember zero outside of their initial two, and then the one where she's having an affair. That's, like, all I have in terms of my memory of their flashbacks. So, in this one, we do get more immediately another father issue. Because uh, already Sun's worried, like, her father will not approve of this relationship. And this, this is a brilliant, again, slowly feeding us the relevant information. Um, is that we, we don't immediately know what, why. Like, at first we think, oh, he's just a strict dad. But then as, like, the episode goes on, it's like, oh, oh... Oh, and you start getting the idea that he really is like this godfather-esque entity who just completely takes control of Jin's life. Who's also uh, involved with Charles Whitmore, but we'll get that to that in a few seasons. Whitmore. Ugh! Can we not? We, Sorry. We're going to have to. Oh, no! No, no! I don't want to go back, Will! So, anyway, um, basically Jin says, I'm going to talk to your father. I'm going to reason with him. A man that clearly is not a man you can reason with. He wants things the way he wants them. But Jin's going to go. We don't know that yet, but yeah. Jin's going to go talk to him, and he he comes back, and he tells her, like, I reasoned with him. It's going to be okay. But the reasoning is... He's going to go to work for him. I'm an indentured servant now. And immediately Sun has a problem with this, but he wins her back over with a beautiful ring because Because she is, it is the idea now they finally get to be together openly. And and it's, as he puts it, like, it's funny when he first says he's going to talk to her father because all he has to give her is flowers. And, um, and, you know, he's like, it'll be a ring one day. One day I'll have a ring for you. And then... Um, we get this scene where he has a ring for her and he insists, I'm only working for your father temporarily. As soon as we have enough money to, to leave and go to America, you know, that's, that's what we'll do and it'll be great and awesome and we can start our lives together and it'll be wonderful. But as the episode progresses, you see more and more how the, the working for the father makes him bitter, makes him violent and he's not he didn't come from that place he was a good man and you get a sense that he's taking this all out also on soon because he's doing this for her so he is not being kind to her now because she's also the symbol of what's changed him into being angry what's changed him into being bitter what's what's put him into this position and even though he loves her it's fundamentally changing who he is as a person and he knows he's not treating her with the kindness and respect that she deserves because even though he loves her, his duties to her father are, are now... And, and the things that her father wants him to do are weighing on his soul. And it's, it's a lot of other things. And something kind of subtle I noticed. And um, it's one of those things where I, I wish I could... One of the many instances in which I could speak other languages besides my own is the scene where he gets her a puppy. You know, he's like, oh, you know, I thought this would be good for for your companionship since I've been working a lot of late hours. Which, BT Dev guys, like, if uh, any guys are looking to win my heart, a puppy's a good start. Uh, (laughs) Not that I have the room for a puppy. But, um, yeah, that's why I don't give people living things. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, she has to leave the dog behind when she's going to leave him. Yeah. Um, but something he says to her is like, you know, I thought this would be good for the companionship, but you know you'll have to feed him and you know you'll have to train him and take care of him. I was like, I can't, I couldn't tell if that was kind of like a teasing couple thing. Like, oh, you know, you're going to have to take care of him. Or um, if that was like a legitimate sort of talking down to her moment of like, I'm giving you this dog, you know, this is a big responsibility in the way that like a parent kind of chides their their well, child. My guess is he's now in a position where he's being treated that way all the time, probably by her father, and now he's treating her 
in that demeaning kind of way. Yeah, this and, is... And, I mean, just like, he's given the tasks of, go beat the shit out of this guy. He's giving her this, you must feed the dog, you must do this, you yeah, must... Yeah, this is the first time he's told her what to do. Like, it's it's the first time, as the, in terms of, like, their established relationship in the past that he's, like, telling her how it is, so to speak. It's one thing to be like, I promise it'll be fine, I'm taking care of it, whatever, whatever. It's another thing to give her something and then to say, this is yours now, even though I didn't ask you if this is what you wanted, and now you're going to do what I say, and that's, here's this dog, now take care of it. I know what's best. And it really makes me wonder a lot about Sun's upbringing uh, and it, like I said, I, I know that there are flashbacks with her later on down the road, but they escape my memory at the moment. She's a well-to-do She's She's a very girl. wealthy young lady, but at the same time, I'm like, how much of an heiress does the rest of the world treat her? Like, because I feel like in some of these Kardashians, or sorry, in a lot of these flashbacks, people are treating her like she's... Like the the equivalent of a Kardashian. The Kardashian. Yeah, where it's like, oh, well, you're rich, and therefore there's nothing going on in your head. Basically, like, you're an airhead because you're this rich, well-to-do person uh, here. Here, here's just this, this is what I think of you, and that's it. Um, and this all kind of culminates in the sequence when he comes back, he's covered in blood, she quickly figures out it's not his blood and he kind of pushes her away and she slaps him and it's now this relationship has already just in these like four flashbacks has gone so far from what we saw in that first flashback. How it's deteriorated and I, I love the use of the, of the puppy as the passage of time because the puppy by, got the, big. by the time she's decided to leave him um, the yeah the dog is fully grown Talking about that moment where she slaps him and talking about the layers of acting, oh my gosh. Like, it's it's phenomenal because, yeah, it's this moment where she's standing up to this, as she perceives this very domineering presence in her life and she, you know, because she's seen him do wrong, what, you know, we're, we're missing the context of it could have been way worse. He was ordered to kill somebody and didn't. But we don't have that context context yet. yet, And um, just the moment where she slaps him and he gives her this look. And in this moment, we look at it as him holding back from, like, actually physically abusing his wife. Um, And, like, but, but at the same time, again, the brilliance of Daniel Day Kim's acting here is that you also see the hurt and the vulnerability And then, like, she leaves the room and her flashback ends. And then, again, later on when we get the additional context of his scene, immediately afterwards he completely breaks down and you see the build-up to that right here. And this is why this show used to be so good! (laughs) Why the show was always good. Fuck you! um, It's Sorry. a it's a cycle of abuse. <laughs> yes, is what it is. What you're doing to me right now? That's what I'm talking <laughs> no, about. No, the show. No, but, no. It's it's a cycle of abuse uh, that he's now being abused by her father in a way. Now he's abusing her, and it does get to the point where she's like, "I have to leave. I have to leave this man that I once loved," and she's got this whole thing set up, and now we find them back in the airport in Sydney. And um, she's supposed to leave at 11, 11.15, I believe 11, it was. 15. 11.15. the car will be waiting. And just, like, make an excuse and just walk away. Everyone and, will assume you've been kidnapped. And then uh, they'll assume you're dead. Like, you need to keep a low profile. That this is how it's going to work if you want to get away and start a new life. And this scene is so great, too. Because Sun is struggling so hard in this moment because she knows she should probably leave this man that things are not necessarily going to get better and and we we also don't have the context of her affair at this point and we also we've seen the way he treats her on the island which yeah. is another great thing because it doesn't quite meld with when we first see them in the flashbacks mm-hmm. because he is very domineering over her 
on on the island. But then... And very quick to anger, too, just at other people around them. And we see him standing there waiting while Jack is complaining about, like, you have to do me this favor, and but my father's body of land. We see Jin standing there in the background, and Sun is waiting. Should she leave? Should she leave? And she's looking at the clock, and she looks at him, and he gives her this... He has a little flower, and he gives this smile. And it's almost like she's reminded of all the good that still might be within this man, and she can't quite give up on him. Even though logically she knows she yeah, should. Yeah, and this is, it, it's such a sad moment, too, because there are so many victims of abuse who um, convince themselves not to leave. And so, in this moment, it's like, is he manipulating her? Like, it kind of did he like sort of see the writing on the wall and so like he's manipulating her into staying by convincing her it'll be better or yeah is there still that glimmer of that good man there um we don't know and so it's simultaneously this beautiful moment of like he's still the man you married but at the same time it's like we in the in the real world outside of the the narrative fiction know what abuse looks like and we know what gaslighting looks like yeah. and we know how victims of abuse convince themselves to stay and how abusers convince their victims to stay and so it's it's such this it's a very poignant moment and again we don't quite have the full context of it so we as viewers are still intrigued and we feel everything she's feeling uh it's kind of amazing to me in 2004 that the networks were fine with half of an episode basically being subtitled i was very impressed like um i mean i don't think the network would be thrilled about that today no no not even remotely and this is one of the things that for for all this show's faults this is one of the reasons why it was so progressive for its time like i i'm an anime fan, so I'm I'm used to watching certain shows with subtitles and everything like that, but a lot of American viewers aren't. So the fact that ABC, you know, and, and the, the various production companies, you know, the powers that be, gave their audience enough credit to be like, hey, we're going to give you an episode that is, you know, half in English and half not in English, and just trust that you're already invested enough to stick with it, Americans. To, to if there are any listeners out there who are like, yeah, subtitles, yeah. F you. Well, Sorry. I was going to be more di- diplomatic. <laughs> um, but, but what I was going to say is, it's not the... the challenge you think it is no it's once not. you start like maybe you'll realize you're reading subtitles for the first two minutes of a movie and then you don't even know you're reading no you're uh, just you're you're in it and you're reading it and you don't even realize and it, it's it's never bothered me uh for for me i i fully acknowledge in terms of like the in the anime community there there back in the day there was this big uh subs versus dubs debate and i i don't know if that still exists because the quality of dubbing has um has been perfected to a science basically um but there still seems to be a lot of discrepancy of like the subs are superior to dubs whatever that's neither here nor there and i disagree with that notion but i understand the 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 thought process behind like i prefer watching something in my that's uh performed in my own language because i don't have to be as focused on what's happening on the screen, I can multitask as I as I watch this television program. And if you're watching something with subtitles, multitasking becomes kind of impossible. Well, you know what? Writing down notes for this episode which was trickier because of the <laughs> subtitles. But usually so I'm I, not writing notes while I'm watching something. I fully acknowledge that if you're looking to multitask, yes, subs are not the right choice. But if you're just looking to be engaged by what you're watching... Don't let subs deter you. Um, so let's get to the island now. Uh, can I, can I, I do want to just say one other thing. Um, I love the idea of our white male protagonist, Jack, you know, having his big moment here. 
and just having the camera focus on something else. Can I just say that I would love to have a lot of other Jack-focused episodes like, have the Jack episode or whatever, but then have that same episode told from someone else's point of view. Like, especially the the episodes where Jack is, like, hallucinating and seeing his father, like, running around. Like, I would love to see it from, like, someone else's point of view where they're talking to Jack and all of a sudden Jack just spaces out and wanders into the into the jungle for no reason. And they're like, well, there, there goes... I guess. I guess I'll... I guess I'll just do my thing now. Um, that's cool. So I would just love to see Jack-focused episodes told from someone else's point of view. I'm sorry, Jack. You're fine. And season one, it's fine. I got Jack issues. <laughs> so, but, like, that's just a... Knowing that you and I have Jack being the protagonist issues there, it was very funny having this how, beautiful moment that Jack is having, just having the camera, like, pan past <laughs> Let me tell you what, this was a very dramatic uh, check-in line at the airport. <laughs> oh my Everything gosh. that was going there on. There was a lot going on. Jack and, and Sun and Jin. Poor so, Chrissy, man. Like, Chrissy was the name of the, the girl at the counter, yeah. right? Oh my gosh, poor Chrissy. She Every deal with person she baggage. dealt with. Yeah, not to mention, like, airport security when we get to, like, Shannon and Saeed's flashback episodes. Like, we won't even go there yet. But, like, this airport staff is having to deal with a lot with these passengers. So, uh, when we're back on the island, Sun is doing her silent observer thing. Like, she's always watching everybody. Taking mental notes, for sure. And... Then Jin goes fucking crazy. Jin runs up to Michael, knocks him down, starts beating the shit out of him. Tries to drown him. Saeed and Sawyer have to jump in and pull him off. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. Michael well, doesn't know what's going on. What's interesting about this moment is that, like, yeah, Sun is taking mental notes and everything like that, but she looks over at Michael and just sees him having this kind of heartwarming interaction with his son. And she's, like, it's not necessarily a romantic look, but it is that kind of like, oh, like, oh, that's a nice human moment that I'm looking at. And then Jin attacks. Um, so, like, then the attack happens. And, like, um, so you're, you're wondering, like, is this... Like, was this attack provoked by an act of jealousy? Like, does he see, oh, there's something going on between my wife and Michael. Like, I need to step in and be all alpha Which, male. And, I mean, this is why the show had been setting up all that awkward, look, like, naked lady stuff. Um, because it does make us question why is he attacking him. And we don't know. And, of course, they, they put Jin, they handcuff him to the wreckage as they should at that point because yeah. he's crazy he just tried to murder a man and but I also understand why they keep questioning Michael what you do because they can't communicate with Jin they don't know what else to do so everybody's just so frustrated well, y'all must have done something <laughs> I and, didn't and he brings up a racial element though yeah. he brings up the thing that he's like well in America Koreans don't really like black people now here's Here's something that, like, from, in terms of, like, looking back on this series, I will say that I grew up in a small town. I was not aware that that was a thing. Oh, that was a thing. That's yeah. a thing. Um, when, when I was younger and the show was first airing, I didn't realize that was a thing, and I didn't really learn more about that until I started taking sociology classes in college, because I grew up in, like, a very small town. Um, I'm, I'm from New York. <laughs> you're like whatever yeah, <laughs> you're like and here's the thing is that like from an a more mature kind of point of view and especially in the era we're living in now i you know i turn and look at that dialogue and go like mm, is that too on the nose but at the time it was news to me so it's like on the one hand i feel like for a lot of audiences it's like why do you have to announce that it's more subtle if you just make that subtextual but at the same time, there are plenty of people living in their own little, you know, in their own little bubbles who kind of need that additional context. But the other thing that's that's nice about it, as nice as racially tinged uh, conversation could be, uh, it causes a conversation between him and Walt later, where yeah. they have to talk about this. 
And it leads into this father-son moment where they realize they don't know anything about each other. And uh, it culminates in a nice little button at the end when Walt asks... Uh, when's your birthday? When's your birthday? Uh, so that's that's a nice a nice little thing. And it, it, so I feel like the racial element had... It, it wasn't just a racial element. It was used for a bonding experience. Yeah, it was used... Um... It was used in a very well-executed manner. I, I really... Because something um, I, I mentioned at the top of this episode that I didn't remember a lot of the framework of this actual episode. I remembered the flashbacks, but I didn't remember quite what was going on on the island, uh, with the exception of Sun, you know, revealing that she could speak English to one person in particular. I... There... Like, so watching this episode again, there was a distinct fear in me when this initial conflict broke out and Saeed was the one sort of managing it. I had this fear of when Jack came back that like, oh no, please don't tell me that Jack is the one that fixes this or that Kate is the one that fixes this because man, wouldn't it be just like a show from the early 2000s to have the white person fix the racial conflict between these two other groups. But no, Saeed is the one sort of managing well, it. managing it, but really Michael and Sun together kind of Exactly. Kind of fix it. But like I had a I had a good X amount of time where I was legitimately concerned that white male protagonist Jack was going to be the one to be like, "Okay, now we're fixing this, we're solving this issue." But that's not at all what happened, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate this show for going that route, for, for you know, stepping aside and allowing these characters alone to take care of the issue. So what ends up happening is uh, Michael really doesn't understand still what has gone on. He's off, you know, in the woods, chopping wood. Blowing off some steam, I suppose you could say. Because he's, he's mad that his relationship isn't great with his son. He's mad that as the victim of the attack, he keeps getting interrogated like he's the bad guy. He's, he's mad that he got attacked and like that his life was put in danger at all. He has a lot to be frustrated about. And Sun comes up to him and immediately is like, oh, what's this going to be? And then uh, she speaks. English. And in one of the flashbacks, we had heard that she was taking lessons, but we didn't have the context of what that was. And now we realize, oh, she was learning English. And she basically explains that this has been a misunderstanding. And Michael is like, oh, still like, you speak English? You speak English? Because he's realized that he's been talking like this. I need you to watch my son to somebody who could understand him just fine. Um, but it's also weird. Like, why would you... Why wouldn't you just say something, woman? We've been on this island for a week. Why haven't you said anything up until now? But um, what it turns out is that she explains that, that her husband doesn't know she could speak English. It's been a big secret. And... Uh, she says, you're wearing this watch that, you know, belonged to, uh, to, to what, her father? It either belonged to her husband or her father, but point being, it was a $20,000 watch, and it was a matter of honor. But in Michael's defense, he did just, oh, look at this. It's like, I found it! If, what are you talking about? Yeah, if somebody were... A, alive who belonged to this watch, they'd be wearing the watch, probably. Yeah. yeah, it was it was the father's watch. Did the the father give it to Jin? I I don't this recall. Was, this is unclear. We watched this episode. <laughs> now, this I is... watched this episode today, and I don't remember. <laughs> um, but he had basically Jin felt he had stolen this watch, and of course Jin couldn't use his words, so he used his fists, which is the way he learned. From Sun's father, anyway, and then Michael realizes he's kind of has to put an end to this. So he, I feel 
Oh, go ahead, go ahead. He comes up to Jin with the axe, and from Jin's perspective, this has to be very threatening. Because <laughs> there's somebody yelling at you in a language you don't understand, brandishing an axe. But Michael is and basically... no one's stopping him. <laughs> basically saying, I didn't know this. You shouldn't have beat the hell out of me, but let's just get past this. And he swings the axe and cuts the handcuffs Which and lets I think him go. is stupid. Because you might need those handcuffs. You later. might need those handcuffs. And now they've broken their only pair of handcuffs, Michael, you idiot. Um, I will say that I, I really do appreciate this performance. And this is one of the things in terms of like what I'm really disappointed about with this show in general is how Michael's character was handled. I know that like there are outside production things that very much impacted the quality of the show. And you can definitely tell when writers have to backpedal and kind of acquiesce to the real world, I suppose you could say. So I get that. But, like, Michael as a character had a lot of good things going for him, and I really liked this performance at the at the very beginning of, like, somebody who's really mad but also can point out the humor of the situation. He's like, yeah, there was this $20,000 watch that I found, so I thought I would pick it up because... We don't have this context yet, but he had, he struggled with money for a long time to provide for his family. So he's like, yeah, I picked up the $20,000 watch, but what the hell does time matter on this stupid island? <laughs> How does he know that watch is $20,000? There... Now, here's the thing, Will. <laughs> you and, by asking that question, you have outed yourself as somebody who wouldn't recognize well, that's what, what's a good watch and a bad watch. That's what I'm saying. Like, I couldn't tell you what an expensive watch is. No. I mean, I guess I could tell you as opposed uh, to, like, some, like... A co-worker of mine several years ago once told me that her first kind of, quote-unquote, nice watch was... She spent, like, $700 on it, and I went... Why would anyone spend $700 on a watch? And she looked at me and she's like, that wasn't even a nice watch. There are watches worth, like, that are priced way more than that. Let me tell you what. A $700 watch is a nice watch. No, it's not. Nah. Here's the thing, Will. It's not. There are $20,000 watches. There are watches that are more expensive than that. I don't understand watch culture. Well, I don't, well, but well, there is a distinct watch culture out there, Will. If uh, any of our listeners happen to understand and know the intricacies of watch culture, please explain it to us because it is a world that boggles my mind because I will spend... X amount of money on like my little oh, Iron yeah. Man digital watch you, because it's waterproof and and nothing will harm you, it until it dies. You have I, I I never even realized, but yeah, you wear a watch. Here's the thing about watch culture. Watch culture, I don't think, is what it used to be because everybody now carries watches in their pocket. You see, you would think that well, but everybody who uses their phone as their watch back in the day, would just have a cheap wristwatch. I never wore a wristwatch, and I always knew what time it was. And the other thing <laughs> is, let me just say this, I once heard that uh, back in the day, they said if you don't wear a watch, you, you live longer. <laughs> but now that we all have watch and clocks on our phone, I guess that doesn't matter, here's, we're all going to die. Here's the thing. We'll get phone it's, cancer. It's not about what time it is well it's not about knowing what time it is this is this is not something i believe this is something that was told to me by others it's not about by that knowing obnoxious what... woman with the 700 no, actually, dollar watch this is my parents speaking oh, okay, well okay. how dare you Fair how dare enough. you you monster i'm waiting no. for, wait, i'm waiting for the turn is and will that obnoxious woman was me <laughs> No, I would never spend $700 on a stupid watch. But no, what it is, it's not about seeing what time it is. It's a matter of status. By having a $2,000 watch well, or a $700 yeah. watch, it's saying I can afford but this very expensive I'm wrist item that is useless because I have a watch in my pocket. See, I'm saying that matter of status will always be lost 
on me. Welcome back to Watch Talk. Time <laughs> the Talk. The podcast within a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I promise we won't talk about watches for a long time. But now we got to get back because we we got to we got to get back to the other. But stuff yeah, that was a stupid table. move, Michael. You broke your only pair of handcuffs, you idiot. Now if somebody attacks you again, you're not going to be able to restrain them unless you get rope, you moron. Um. So in the meantime. There's still a lot to talk about. A little time to do it. Um, so Jack, Kate, Charlie, and Locke are going to go to the caves, start getting water. They're going to be the first people to bring the water back to the beach. I want to touch upon a bit of dialogue that happens at the top of this episode where they are talking about Jack's tattoos. This is the first time Jack and Kate are being, like, flirty with each other. But they're talking... Yeah, we'll get to that, too. But I want to uh, talk about... I want to uh, talk about the tattoos... Because this is the episode that sets up the mystery of Jack's tattoos. And then Kate's like, oh, ask him about his tattoos. Hey, what about those tattoos? Those tattoos. And she says those tattoos don't really add up. They don't really fit you. Um, this I is an example of where I see where you come from in some of your issues with this show. Because, I will tell you right now, the worst episode of this series is in season three. And I'm blanking on the name of it, but it's the one with Bai Ling. And when we find out the mystery of Jack's tattoos, that they're just stupid tattoos. Yeah. And they're just shitty, douchey <laughs> tattoos. And this Which, was the to be honest, is what Kate should have guessed that they were. <laughs> and this is, at, this is being set up as if it's going to be some big mystery. And I guess you could argue that somehow the, the, the fact that they are just these stupid, shitty tattoos fits into Jack's character well, in some ways. There's, there's something it, to be said about a mystery that doesn't amount to anything. There's an episode of Steven Universe, um, for example, and this is where I will always maintain that animated shows that do mysteries are much better than Lost because they have a much better idea of where they're going. Um, but there's an episode of Steven Universe where he's convinced he has to figure out what his magical destiny is um, that, he, that um, his mother left behind for him. And what he ultimately finds out at the end of the episode is that his mother didn't have a magical destiny in mind for him. She just wanted him to be a happy kid. <laughs> and that, and like, but he spends the entire episode thinking, like, I have to find out what my magic, my super secret magical destiny is. And, it, and then he finds out, like, no, she just wanted you to grow up and be happy. And he's like, oh, huh, that wasn't what I was expecting, but... I, I guess that's cool too. But 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 here's the thing. This is an example of they they set thought, up a mystery. They set up a mystery that they thought that would play. They could play out in a cool way, and then they realized, oh, we've got enough mysteries going on. Who yeah. cares? But since we brought it up, let's put a awkward button on it. The there again, there is something to be said about a mystery that ultimately isn't a mystery that ultimately is just a mundane thing in life. There's something to be said about that. However, because this series is so bad about setting up mysteries and providing satisfactory payoffs, I'm not willing to let it get a pass. <laughs> so. Okay, because on this one, I don't give it a pass. I give it a pass on a lot of things. but And I do think the episode when we find, get to, and we'll get to it like 10 years from now, <laughs> um, is the worst episode of the series. But Oh, move, debatable. Mo moving on. Debatable, Will. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Um, so they go to the caves. And when they get there, Charlie goes off to do some drugs, as you want to do. No, and not Charlie. And this was a great moment, though, because it brought up something that the show gets a little away from as we get into others and magical mysteries Stupid and like stuff, that. yes. <laughs> um, all the stuff that makes me love this show. All the stuff that makes me hate this show. Um... <laughs> Uh, but we have a natural 
uh, incident. He steps on a beehive. It's a natural danger. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. I love, I absolutely love everyone's reactions to this moment. He's like, what? No, beehives are supposed to be in trees. This is a violation. How dare you, bees? And Jack and Kate are trying to resolve it. And then ultimately, they all end up having to book it back to the cave well, because they're a, being chased by bees. Charlie can hold on just like long enough until they're actually about to do something about the beehive. And he basically flinches and oh. cracks the hive. Bees go everywhere, but it's a nice excuse for Jack and Kate to take their clothes off. Whoa! And they're like, Ooh, I think... Ooh, there's that sexual tension. They got bees in their shirts, and they, they run, and they, they, they take their shirts off, and they run into the caves. And now we're going to get into a little magic here, a little Lost Island magic. I, I will say that this episode is the first time that all of the love triangle stuff is really played up on the nose. Yeah. And I, I have to say that I appreciate stuff like at the very beginning of the episode where they're being kind of flirty. This is where it starts to get a little forced. And when they get back to the beach is when it gets kind of forced. But well, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I, 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 let's, we'll get there. We'll kind of chronologically. So this is sets up a mystery that there is a payoff to. Yep. Um, One we, that I don't remember. <laughs> um, but it, it sets up a thing about the island. We see these skeletons, and they're figuring out, like, oh, these these skeletons are here, and they figure, like, one's a man, one's a woman. What? They go, this Adam is the, the Adam. I think Locke is the one who, who calls them out of yeah. their own Adam Jack and Jack points out that one of the skeletons is a woman, and that's when Locke, being the, the true believer that he is, dubs them Adam and Eve. Can we point out the fact that one of them had light and dark rocks in their well, pocket? Yes. They're the... What the... <laughs> but that was setting it up. It was setting up the light and the darkness it was from the beginning. At the, Just like at the... the, the, the with Locke, with the, the black and again. white pieces. Yeah. I sat there and went, gosh darn it, like... That's a good bit of foreshadowing being reinforced. Something I don't remember noticing upon a first viewing because a lot of my memory of the series is muddled by those middle seasons where they just didn't know what the hell they were doing. Um, but, but here's but this intentional is foreshadowing. That's right. And it Ugh. sets up the entire... What we're getting here is the entire setup of the series the, with the, the darkness and the light. And those bodies will jump way ahead to the episode, the third to last episode of the series, Across the Sea, where uh, the woman in question is Oscar winner Allison Janney. Um, and the male skeleton there is what becomes the, the, the man in black. Uh, how it should have ended names him Chaz. And I kind of like that name, so I'm going to call him Chaz. Well, <laughs> but Man in Black uh, is... I've always wondered, is the Man in Black in this show an intentional reference to Stephen King's Dark Towers, Man in Black? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, there are J.J. Abrams loves his homages well, slash ripoffs. More so, I mean, I would say more, and I wouldn't necessarily call it ripoff, but... No, but, but it's definitely but I would an say intentional more, homage. Uh, you know, at a certain point, J.J. Abrams is totally out of this equation. This is a Damon Lindelof, uh, Carlton Coons show. That's fair. Show. That's fair. And Lindelof is a huge... They're all huge King guys. Everybody yeah. everybody of that well, age in, again, in genre is a huge King guy. When I first... Again, not, not to steer too far off track, but when I first saw the, the advertising for this series for that two-hour premiere i thought it was a stephen king-esque miniseries and there's a lot of stephen king-esque-ness in this first season but like the good parts of stephen king not the nonsense parts of stephen king that's for later i guess no. yeah the um but um the this isn't an adam and eve situation this is actually more of a a mother-son relationship mm -hmm. of these mm -hmm. bodies although not birth mother but 
we'll get to that. We'll get there. 20 years from now. (laughs) But this was setting up a very important thing that actually does play out. It's kind of gross, actually, in retrospect, that they kind of play it up as Adam and Eve. A little bit, but uh, well, our characters have no, our characters have no context. Yeah, yeah. This is thousands of years, and they have the Gross. back end. They have the back end pieces. Remember, Locke said it's the oldest game in the world. And what's the oldest game in the world? The the light fighting the darkness and the good versus evil. Yeah. It's all there. The most, and the more like intentional foreshadowing that we find as we're going through this retrospective, the more I feel like this series' biggest problem was its own success. Like, they had to keep adding stuff in the middle until they, they got... And that that's ultimately what led to this show's downfall. Yeah, but it sounds like you, this, you hate a lot of stuff that comes after that, though. So I don't know how much of well, that is your... I, pro- I feel well, you know like what, a lot that's, of this setup was... Um, a lot of this setup was so intentional that, like, if this had just been a three-season show, or a, just, like, a four-season show... Um, it would have been tighter. It would have cut out a lot of the unnecessary stuff. It probably would have done away with the time travel in general. Um, see, it probably see. I don't. I don't think it would have. I think it would have just got to that stuff faster. And <gasps> I and I love that stuff. See, when I think of the stuff where the series went wrong, it's like season three. It's and and that's when they were forced to search out. But but we should really get well, yeah, because sorry, otherwise we're I gonna don't. have the same we're, conversation. We're gonna every go week. down that yeah, time traveling bunny rabbit hole. And we can't. We can't. Yeah, and we, we can't, can't do, do that, that every week. <laughs> no. So um, we'll get there. We'll get there when we get there. So Jack and Kate go back to the beach. Locke is going to stay behind with Charlie. Let's get the Locke Charlie stuff out of the way yeah. first. Um, long, long story short, intentional foreshadowing. Thumbs up. Well played, show. Um, Locke is like oh, I'm going to get to know Charlie a little bit. I like. Locke is the first person to recognize Charlie for who he is. He, he knows. He knows he was a guitarist in Drive Shaft. And he played bass. And he knows their album names. And he knows which one's better. And, and like, that's, that's so great. And there's this great moment where Locke's like, I know what you're looking for. And Charlie's getting all paranoid because he thinks it's heroin or whatever. And he's like, you're looking for your guitar. And it's a great moment for us because I'm like, because Locke has already proven to be like this wizened guy. And it's like, does he know? Does yeah. he know that it's, it's drugs? Or then, but then, oh, maybe he doesn't. And even Charlie lets his guard, maybe he doesn't. He lets his guard down. And like, you can look at this as two, two ways. You could look at it as Locke being the wise old man, you know, uh, that the show often pretends that he is who has all of this wisdom to give to these younger troubled people because he's had his miracle already. Um, And, you know, all of these life experiences that he can impart onto these younger people because he's lived a life filled with pain. But at the same time, you can also look at this as overt emotional manipulation um, because... You definitely see that even if his intentions are good, we can already sort of start to see him planting seeds of like, I want people to take my side. And we're not necessarily at that point yet, but you can look at it as wise old man trying to help this very troubled young man, or you can look at it as cult leader already sowing the seeds of what he will cultivate to be his following. I don't see it that way. <laughs> in the, the... I'm just saying you can. Okay. You can look at it that way. Right. I look at it as good-hearted Locke mm. trying to do something good for someone else who is troubled. Locke always had the best intentions, even when it got people killed. Now, Jesus. Dude, we'll get to it, but the Boone episode. Oh, my God. Let's um, not even. Let's not even. Um, but we have to. <laughs> so can we not? No, not right now. So Locke then though confronts Charlie later, and it's basically like, "Give me the drugs." You'll thank me for it later. Yeah, you're gonna go through withdrawal anyway. So let's just. Why don't you make this your choice? And if you give something to the island, the island will give something back. 
The frustrating part is he's not wrong. <laughs> that's, and, what, that's what's infuriating. <laughs> and then, what does the island give back to him? Look up, and there it is. Charlie's it's guitar. The island that's Locke knowing where it is and manipulating Charlie into giving him the drugs so that, again, Charlie can have the illusion of choice. But it's good. Yes. It, Charlie needs this. No, no, it was a beautiful moment. Yeah. It was fantastic. It's just frustrating that Locke is looking at, like, give the island something and you will get something in return. Again, because we know of his eventual uh, seduction and downfall. Yeah. So it's it's just sad to see, again, how such this good-hearted, well-intended character ultimately gets led astray by the thing he believes in. By and his blind faith. While this is going on, Jack and Kate are carrying all this water back. It's a lot of water. It's heavy. You know, they got to stop. Jack is uh, checking Kate out, or at least Kate says, oh, you checking me out? Um, We're being flirty now for the first time. But Jack wasn't checking Kate out, which is stupid. He should have been. But he wasn't. <laughs> he was probably like 50% checking her out and 50% talking about the thing he actually said he was talking about. And, but the thing he seems to be consumed with is the idea of we should all move to the caves. And in one respect, Jack is 100% right. They can't keep lugging water back to the beach constantly. The caves provide a natural shelter. They're cooler. It makes sense to live in the caves, except moving to the caves means you've given up. And they've only been there, what, like six, seven days? Literally like a week. Yeah. Um, so yeah. he's already giving up on the idea because no one's going to find them in the caves. Now, as, as much as I appreciate a lot of the mysteries that this show presented, this is the show at its most interesting, is when you're presented with these very real dilemmas of, do we go to the cave or do we stay on the beach? Because at this point rescue could still be coming for them and as Sawyer points out you know we go to the cave to get the water to go to the the water and tomorrow a plane could fly by and would be none the wiser well you know what I mean look the 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 simplest answer is split up yeah. yes and uh, although Jack seems very much like everyone's better off in the cave but yeah he took he he kind of dove into that very quickly it's better to be uh, split up, have some people on the beach just in case a boat or a plane comes but by. But he, he doesn't want to admit that because just recently he said we have to all band together, live together, die alone, and splitting the group right after saying that seems like a little bit of a contradiction. However, I don't think it is because if you're, again, if you split the group into two, that's that's... Just delegating duties. You're yeah. all still part of yeah. the same community. You can trade off. Yeah. You take turns, you dingus. But, Jack. But Saeed brings up the point. Like, I'm not giving up yet. When he presents this idea to Saeed, and Kate kind of alludes to Jack, yeah, I'll have your back on this, and then immediately is very quiet about well, all of no. It. I mean, she points out, like, in that moment where he's like, I'm not checking you out. She, He's like, I know we're going to have to convince them. He made the assumption that she was going to take his yeah, side. Yeah, but she kind of gives him a little bit, like, no, she kind of, yeah. Not, when, not quite. Back when they were, uh, uh, before they even went on their walk out there, when he first brings up the idea, she, from my memory, kind of gives him a, like, uh, okay. Well, what, what I mean, I'm says, not saying it's a hearty yes, What but, he says in this moment is, she's like, you're that like when he's explaining like we should all move there and I'm thinking about this and this and she's like you make a good point is what she says not uh -huh. I agree with you she's like you make a good point and he says but and she's like no but and he's like okay like well that would make me think that you agree with no, me no but it's all in the delivery She's like, I'm not contesting with you. But in the in the very next line, he's like, yeah, we, we're going to need to do a lot of convincing. And she blatantly says, you still haven't convinced me. And even in that, like, no but, it was very, like, you make a good point. You make a good argument. There's a lot of logic to what you're saying. However... I have a lot of trepidation that I'm not exactly verbalizing right now. Well, that was 100% her performance. Well, and you have to give it to her. Oh, like, she's great. Yeah. 
And no, no, you're, you're right about that, but I also understand why he made this assumption. But now let me ask, and here's the bigger question about Kate. Does Kate not go to the cave because she wants to be on the beach if there's a rescue, she thinks that's important, or does she not go to the cave because she, and everyone's joking about it, what's up with you and Jack, what's up with you and Jack, is it just because she sees she's getting closer to somebody and she doesn't want that? That's what I, I think it's a little bit of like, yeah, we, we don't necessarily need to commit to like living on this island for forever because that seems to be what Jack's kind of diving into. So I think it's a little bit of that, but I also think it's a little bit of, um, it is, it's more like she comes to this realization that she's connecting with Jack as a person and she's intentionally trying to distance herself from him. And something kind of interesting too is that, um, you know, for all of the Jack Sawyer, Kate love triangle BS that's happening Initially, like kind of looking at these early episodes, I'm wondering if maybe that wasn't the intention in the beginning, you know, when they were still trying to figure out, well, okay, well, where does Jack as our new protagonist sort of fit into all of this? Because it sounds like the initial love triangle, at least in this episode, as Sawyer's joking about it, it was Saeed, Kate, and Jack. Yeah. Which... I thought was very interesting because we've been saying from the beginning what great partners Saeed and Kate would make as the leaders of the island. And and I I wonder how much the show was at that point playing with the idea of, will Saeed lead a group of people? But I mean, I guess they always had the John Locke leader thing. I mean, Saeed never becomes a leader. I, I was talking to somebody earlier this week about how much, like, if, again, if Jack was removed from the equation how interesting it would be with Kate and Saeed as the leaders of the island trying to keep order with crazy Locke sort of beginning a cult and con man Sawyer being charismatic but ultimately out for himself. You know, not necessarily in like an he's an evil person sort of way, but in like a survivalist way. More than uh, begin a cult, Locke more joins a cult, right? I mean, he gets Boone on his side, but I wouldn't think of him as a cult leader. He's well, kind of, until, I mean, at a certain I'm, point, I'm he becomes again, the leader of the others. As, as again, removing Jack from the equation okay. initially. I'm like, okay, like, how would this have played out if, again, Kate had been the protagonist? Saeed would be her right-hand man, and then entities like Sawyer and Locke they would have played out a little differently without Jack there. You know, our, our protagonist who struggles to let anybody control any other situation. Uh, I just thought of, as we end this, I just thought of another, uh, you said we were talking about them being Stephen King fans. Of course, also the most obvious nod to Stephen King is Juliet's favorite book is Carrie. That's a great book. I just hate Juliet. <laughs> I love Juliet. I feel like you... I feel like you misremember some Juliet stuff. <laughs> no, my problem was probably my initial misinterpretation of her as a character and just never letting go of that. I'm wa- I'm really wondering... Well, we'll see. Years from now, we'll Years see how this Years from now, when out. we finally get there. Um. So, yeah, great episode. Yes, so uh, we, we need to do our uh, light and dark, right? Let me tell you, the, the light to me is, I'm just going to say, again, in 2004, I love that they lean heavily on subtitles on a network television show. And my dark is, those tattoos were always fucking stupid. <laughs> hate those tattoos. <laughs> um, for me, yeah, the light for me is basically this entire episode. Everything from the writing, the directing, the acting, everything is spot on wonderful. And I, I was actually gushing about getting to talk about this episode tonight to other people who have no, you know, who aren't rewatching Lost. And I was just so excited to talk about this episode, which is not something I necessarily come into with a lot of these uh, recordings in the future. It's gonna be, it's gonna be really hard for me. But this one, I couldn't wait to talk about it. My dark. 
The only kind of complaint I have is that Jin as a character had no need to immediately act violently. All he had to do was like point to the watch that Michael had and be like, yo, dude, you took my watch. I, I know they couldn't communicate I and I know that it was a matter of honor or whatever. Yeah, I think he's also looking for an excuse because he also has seen Michael be kind of chummy with his making wife. Making eyes at his, at his lady. I get it, but it seemed more like a plot contrivance to me than, than oh, like yeah. a legitimate it's, reason. It's fairly easily resolved once it's resolved. Yeah. It's more of an excuse for the... It, it, it's more the island stuff is there to make the backstory stronger. Yeah, it's... Uh, again, that's a nitpick in what's otherwise a stellar episode. Um, so, as always, you can find us on Twitter at No Love Lost Pod. Uh, Megan, where can the people find you? Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's Mangwin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. And you can follow me on Twitter at... <laughs> the Real Will Link. Um, so that's it for this week. We will see you all next time. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to No Love Lost on the podcast Jukebox Network. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening. And if you guys liked the show that we put on, you might like some of the other shows put on by this lovely network. Um, Off the Cuffs, which is a kink and BDSM podcast, which is very popular. Um, Being There, Will Sean podcast. Will he? Uh, he does. <laughs> Uh, you would know. Drinks with God and proud to be kinky. Yeah, so we want to give a big thank you to this network for, for supporting us, for giving us a platform to talk about Lost On. So, guys, it would really mean a lot if you would show uh, these other podcasts some love. Yeah, go back, give them a listen. If you like us, you might like them. We're on the same network. Only makes sense. Go listen to them. Give them all five stars. Do that. And then also give us five stars. Yeah, we could use it. <laughs> <laughs>